City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. And, Chase, screw the official introduction. Hornets basketball is back. Um, we have two games played. We're recording this on Sunday evening. We've been waiting now many months. We've had the draft. We've had free agency. We've had to go through the, the painful preseason training camp. But we've been able to watch Hornets basketball. And um, look, two competitive games that have come so far. And like my, my big takeaway is it's just good to have NBA basketball back, right? It's nice to see a healthy-ish Hornets team taking the floor. Um, just exciting times. Uh, have you found the kind of start to this regular season here? I am completely on the same page as you. It's a glorious thing every other day or every third day being able to watch not only just the Hornets, but really having five or six NBA games on at night that count for yeah. something in the regular season has just been a great experience so far. It's always great in like that like late October, early November period when the league is back, everything's fresh. There's no, you know, preconceived notions that you can really have a yeah. got to watch it play out for five to ten games before you can really start to form your opinions but we're getting to that point where the sample size is getting beyond uh microscopic so i'm excited to well, dive into here today the first thing i'm going to say is and i'm going to hold myself and you accountable to this if anyone quotes any stats before we have 10 regular season games <laughs> i'm just like i'm not paying attention or hornets rank with this in the league it, it literally does not matter there's been a bunch of research data about this i think the basically the point the actual technical point that in science, they would not classify a reasonable sample size until I think eight games of the regular season, which is basically 10%, right? Um, so that is the minimum sample size that you should pay attention to. Until that point, everything is just chance, random. Everything is too noisy. You shouldn't really look into it. So we, we're holding ourselves both accountable to that today. Um, but look, Hornets are one-on-one. -on -one. They had a, a feisty comeback win against the Hawks, a disappointing loss to the Pistons. Um I guess, like, well, let's start here. I, I would kind of, like, say it's a solid start, like, one-on-one. -on -one. We, we sat here this, last week, and we went, if they're 2-0, the hype train's going to be out of control. If they're 0-2, and two, people are going to be panicking. And if they're one-on-one, -on -one, it's going to kind of be, like, okay. And, um, you know, they probably won the game that most people would expect them to lose, and then they lost the game people would expect them to win. But I'm, I'm almost, like, happy they won this game in some ways, because... Chase, Hornets fans were freaking unbearable after that Hawks win. I mean, you would think this team is going to the NBA Finals. Um, this fan base of so useful, used to pain. When anything good happens, people are like pounding their chest, screaming it from the rooftops, patting themselves on the backs, jumping to conclusions. And in some ways, maybe it's good just for the fan base to be brought down, down to earth a little bit. Um, I, I maybe, or am I being harsh? Maybe fans should just be able to get carried away and not worried about the the kind of the real world. Uh, am I being harsh there? I mean, it's a fine line between a one and zero start to the season and maybe a one and zero start to a playoff series. So all you really have to do is just change the time of year from October <laughs> to April, and then it's pretty much the same thing. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe the the fans were on the right track here getting a little excited early on but I, it, was, it was a hell of a win against the hawks too so it was I, I and let's not be, let's not be like let's not lie here they could very easily be zero and two right trey oh, young yeah. hits a few shots okay and he missed he had a really bad game um mm -hmm. but the hornets were you know a brandon miller missed three away from maybe not coming back in that game and then they've been oh and two then the vibes around this team are completely different and that's why at the minute it's you you're living and dying on every single thing that happens um They've not played ahead. I don't know what the total minutes are. I want to say that they will have been ahead in something like 15% of the actual game time so far because they basically trailed all the Pistons game and they came back against the Hawks. Um, so, you know, you want to be leading games. That helps you win. And maybe that's breaking news here, but that, that is what you should be trying to do. I Hey, I completely agree. But And the thing is, too, is I still think that and I'm like you said, we're not quoting stats yet, but I still think that in consistent theme with the preseason, the starters are maybe not outplaying, but at least consistently keeping even with other team starters, which yep. 
at now with the t how the health situation is going, that's mostly what we can ask for. And ending up one and one through two games with that kind of scenario, I think we can we can live with that for now. Yeah, and the Hornets have played well in spurts. They've not put together 48 minutes yet. They've had good moments and quarters. Um, if they start putting together their best parts for a full game, then this team has a chance to, you know, win some games and not just be 500, but but slightly above it, you know, for stretches, depending on their opponents. Um, I have to say, I felt the start of the season a little bit reassuring with things. Um, you know, a, a couple of things we were talking about just last week, Chase, we were talking about the backup point guard position. They've now addressed that with Ish Smith, and we'll come back to that later. I was talking about, remember, Lamella Ball's rusty start to the year, and I think it's safe to say that that has certainly been the case with some rough shooting performances so far, turning the ball over a little bit better. Um, you know, even going back now to my, to my draft board last in 2022, Jalen Duran is probably one of the leading contenders for most improved player right now, and I think I had Jalen Duran ranked sixth in that draft. Um, and we both talked about the third center being an issue. The fact that they don't have a point. And you texted me the other day saying it took until basically the, the late in the first quarter of the second game of the season for the team to go, wow, would it have been great to have Bismarck Bayembo out there, like on the bench that you could have thrown out. And he is now signed for Memphis, by the way, for those who didn't see. Yeah, um, so I, I feel like we've been pretty, pretty on the ball here, Chase. Um, so, so nothing really surprising to start the season. It's like a seven out of 10 for me. Uh, but it's still been interesting to see things come to come to fruition. I guess let's talk on the, the backup point guard situation first, because it's not really got much debate because it kind of happened. Then game started and Ish Smith hasn't played at all. But we had the whole conversation about bringing in a backup point guard last year. Um, you know, I think most people assumed Ish Smith was done, right? That's why we didn't bring him up. Um, what were your thoughts on bringing back Ish? What did you think of that move? I know we've not seen him yet, but in principle. Yeah, I mean, I completely – we didn't even talk about him when we did our last podcast, the backup point guard options, because I didn't even think that he would be an option. Like, he said in an interview with WFNZ, which I found extremely funny, that he was – I think it was like he was playing blocks with his son. I'm paraphrasing, not directly quoting, but he was playing blocks with his son, and he was spelling out retire, and he got to R-E-T-I-R, -E and then the Hornets called and asked him if he wanted oh, to sign. No yeah, I, I think it might have been Richie Randall that tweeted out that quote. It was, it was so funny when I saw that. It made me like laugh out loud immediately. And I mean, not only is that a, just a funny thing to happen on its face, but I mean, it speaks to the type of presence that Ish is going to bring to the locker room, I think, which is a huge part of why the Hornets signed him anyway. Obviously, having a point guard that's similarly quick, even as a veteran in his early 30s as Ish is, He's going to play with a fast pace. He's a quick twitch, like drive, get get to the rim, get downhill type of player, which has enough overlaps with LaMelo, I think, that it's worth bringing on rather than maybe pulling somebody out of the veteran free agent market. Like, I mean, they worked out Alfred Payton over the summer. Like, yeah, I, I, I can see where the Hornets front office is coming from, maybe waiting for Ish and seeing if he's willing to come onto the team and bringing a player with his archetype on rather than Alfred Payton or another point guard that they had brought on and, I mean, now that Frank Nielakina is out too, like Ish has a clear runway to being the backup point guard. And we've already seen what happens when he plays backup point guard behind LaMelo on this team. Obviously, it's a couple of years down the road from what happened the first time, but who's to say that it can't work almost as well as it did in 2021, which yeah, for his, to Ish's credit, was probably the second best backup point guard LaMelo has ever had besides Devontae Graham. Yeah, and there were definitely moments in that first stint, right? That not not all highs. There were lows too, and we Absolutely. remember the highs. You know, he definitely took over those three or four games where he kind of like rallied the Hornets and led the Twins. And whenever a backup does that, there was even that one famous game I think where he kept Lamelo Ball on the bench to finish the game. Yeah, Lamelo willingly stayed on the bench so Ish could stay in and close. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the thing is, like, we don't need Ish to have a great full season here like let's be honest the, the, the likelihood is here that i think frank nilakina will probably be backish in the rotation soon when he is back and we need a smith to have a good two months right and 82 games when you're whatever 35 36 like ish smith is that's that's a lot that's a lot to put through your body but when you're talking about two months here that's much more reasonable for a guy like ish and that's when they're going to want to use him and look we've been talking all summer Mitch Kupchuk said he wanted to get a veteran who's going to play and will be a voice in the locker room. 
And we looked around at the end of the summer and we went, who is that player? That, that, that is not, they've not succeeded in that goal. Ismith does that. You even saw at the end of the Detroit, uh, at the end of the Atlanta Hawks game, I don't know if you saw it right at the end, as Lamella Ball was walking off down the tunnel, Ismith had his arm around him, chatting to Lamello, and straight away, like, you've got someone who you know, Lamello already has a relationship, someone he's going to listen to, uh, someone who's not only has more experience, won a championship last year since he was winning Charlotte. Yeah. So you're talking about a guy who could maybe have a potential future as a coach in this league, or, or working in this league, and to have that guy who can also play right now, you know, even if he doesn't play well, I absolutely think it was the right move to take the chance. Um, and look, Maladon has the role of kind of backup point guard right now, but and I think he's actually been like good defensively so far. Like he's been a bit of a ball hawk, Maladon. I think it's been quite impressive to see. He, but he's really not looked for shot, and I'm kind of I have a suspicion here that that shoulder is not 100. And if if he was if this team had other options, I don't know if he would be playing right now. I think he might still be working on the shoulder because he's just not looking for his shot at all. No, and I, I'm so glad you brought that up because there was a right-wing three that he took in the second half of the Pistons game. Yeah. I think it was the second half. He was wide open. You could see there was like a noticeable hitch in his jumper that for, I mean, I, I'm, I think that it was not there in previous years, at least last year when he was with the Hornets, it seems like it's just a very uncomfortable motion for him to have. And like, obviously with a right shoulder injury, that's going to significantly affect your shooting motion. Even once you're like beyond the point of where you need to re be rehabbing that injury, like you need to be like a full 100% like in rhythm, ready to go. I feel like before that's not going to have any sort of effect on your three point shooting. And I, I think it's – I completely agree with you. I think it's pretty clear that he might still be affected by that. But right now, they just need a backup point guard. But, I mean, as, as long as Ish is ready within the next week or so, maybe maybe that won't be an option. We'll see Teo maybe fall out of the rotation a little bit until he gets healthier, maybe has that rhythm back. But I, I, I do agree that he has been pretty good, even with that lack of a yeah. three-point shooting threat so far. So definitely a yeah, he's not the reason this team has, you know, lost the no, distance. Not he's not limited the game. And, and going into the season, I had serious concerns about that backup point guard. Now, let's be honest, Maladon hasn't really played much point guard. It's mostly been yeah. Ball and Rozier staggering. And Maladon has almost played the two because of just the amount of injuries the Hornets have had so far on the wing. He's had to play there. You know, McGowan's is, I think, he is technically available and healthy after the, for the Pistons game, but he is definitely not going to be 100%. I mean, we saw all the guys playing through ankle knocks last year. I think he's available if needed, was the quote that I think Steve Clifford used. So I, I think right now it makes sense, while it's not hurting your team too much to keep Maladon. But like, Ish is just going to need to get in shape. Like, he was retired, right? You know what guys do when they retire? They probably get that extra takeout. You know, they get that milkshake. <laughs> they relax a little bit, maybe the first time in what, 20 years? And I wouldn't blame if she's been doing that a little bit. Like he said, he would not play for any other team if it was not his hometown team, Ball Hornets. Um, so it's just going to take him a little bit of time, I think, to get into game shape. They don't need him to play 30 minutes. They need him to be able to play 15 or 16. And the good news is that should hopefully not take quite as long. But there will be a little bit of adjustment period here. I don't know when it happens, but I imagine it'll happen at some point in the next seven to 10 days that Ish will start getting that burn. Yeah, and it'll definitely help having these two days of practice over the past weekend after the Pistons game too. Maybe yeah. by Monday night against the Nets. Could be, be, could be. Maybe he's a, he's at least active because I've noticed in the first two games he was in street clothes. So there's a, maybe a chance that he's at least in a warm-up in case, maybe in case of emergency backup point guard, uh, the, that third point guard. Maybe we see uh, their, their two starting point guards get in foul trouble, much like we saw the two starting centers get in foul trouble. And then... Hmm. You need to crack that in case of emergency glass for your third player at the, on the depth chart at that position. So, I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's ready to go by the midpoint of this coming week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next, we're going to touch a little bit on the some of our takeaways, I guess, from the Detroit game, but also just from like the two first games generally. And then our main section feature of this podcast, we're going to be talking about Brandon Miller and doing a little bit of a deep dive. Now we've seen two games. Uh, where Brandon Miller's arguably been, uh, you know, one of this team's most consistent players through the two games. So 
Um, if we if we go on to some of our takeaways first from the Detroit game and anything that you think maybe carries over to the Atlanta game, what is the thing that kind of stuck out to you from that Detroit matchup? Obviously, a disappointing result with with Charlotte pulling out there, not being able to pull out the win. So the thing that really stuck out to me is, and I didn't get to watch this game live, so I probably had a little bit of a different perspective than a lot of fans might have had watching this game. I didn't think the bigs maybe got pushed around as much as it seemed like on the offensive glass, uh, or especially like in terms of getting into foul trouble and the physicality aspect of the game. I mean, I mean, we've already mentioned it. They Nick and Mark both got into foul trouble very or very early. They needed to use JT Thor as a small ball center. So maybe that's a question we had asked been asking ourselves preseason is who is yeah. the small ball center? Seems like it was JT Thor was the first option in the that game against the Pistons because he was their small ball five when Nick and Mark both had to sit uh, in the second quarter there. But another thing that I thought was very evident just bo- across both of these games was it seems like they're playing fast. Like this team seems like they have a very clear mindset of even off of a make or a miss is just to get down the floor and see what kind of look they can get early in the shot clock because they have so many floor spacers and both of their bigs are rim runners with size and athletic ability to catch lobs and just finish in the paint in general. It's probably to their advantage to just consistently play with that type of pace. And it really seems like they've been doing that so far. Like against the Pistons, they obviously didn't crack the 100 mark, but I mean, against the Hawks, like they were getting up and down the floor the entire game. You finish with 116 points in regulation against a team that was like, playing reasonable defense. I mean, I don't think the Hornets... Yeah, they shot 29.7% from three that game. Like, it's not like you're making up with these three-point shots to make up for the lack of possessions you have. Like, you're just having a lot of possessions, so it's counteracting the the poor efficiency from three. So that's definitely something I've been really, really encouraged with so far is, like, when this team is fully healthy, even though that's maybe not Steve Clifford's main prerogative as a coach, like, philosophically, is to push the pace they're going to do that because that's well, I, I don't know if that's the case. I, I think in yeah. Charlotte, that is the, that in Charlotte's second time round, that is his prerogative. Like, so oh, yeah. first well, time I, round, yeah, that I agree with. Yeah. Cause yeah, he, he, he plays to the strengths of his roster and like, yeah, he had Al Jefferson. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're not going to play fast when your best player at the time. And as good as Kemba was at the time, Al Jefferson was oh, his yeah. team's best player. You're not going to play fast when your best player is like a long, slump, slump, you know, lumbering low post scorer. So that is, and, and it was the same in Orlando again when he coached uh, yeah, the Orlando yeah. Magic. He had Vooch again, so it makes sense. Uh, the Hornets' transition frequency so far this year is basically identical to their transition frequency last year. So about sixteen point three percent of their positions in transition. Um, now, interestingly, because you've got everyone very fresh at the start of the year, right? Everyone's mm. transition frequency. Last year, they finished sixth in the league with that transition frequency. This year, they're currently 12th, but there's been two or three games. So all these teams, uh, even though they're basically in transition the same amount, everyone around the league is running more because everyone is nice and fresh, and they're not going to be doing that come March. Um, but, but it's interesting about the defensive side of it. I was looking at this. The actual, uh, some of the defensive half-court numbers are exceptional so far, and that matches the eye test. The Hornets have been terrible at turning the ball over so far, and their transition defense, as Steve Clifford staple, has not been good. But it's mainly due to their turnovers. But actually, in the half court, the Charlotte Hornets have like I think allowed eight, eighty-four point seven points per like hundred possessions, which is an exceptional defense rating so far in the half court. They just have to be able to get their get their defense set, which is something they've struggled with so far. A lot of live ball turnovers, I feel yeah. like, and I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but. It seems like a lot of the turnovers come from like bringing it across half court and being like a little bit discombobulated and just throwing it into the hands. I think that happened a lot. Like early in the Pistons game, especially the beginning of that game was just back and forth with both teams making terrible passes. I mean, I think Gordon Hayward had two steals like nearly at half court, like in the early on in that game. So that that is definitely something they're going to have to clean up. But I feel that could partially just be to the fact that they played what was like 170 possessions together or something as a healthy starting five last year. So, I mean, these guys are very much still getting used to each other and building a chemistry as a five-man group, despite the fact that all of them were on the team last year. So I think there will still be a slight adjustment period, even if it looks actually pretty good most of the time. 
Um, obviously, you talked a little bit about the foul trouble with Mark and Nick Richards. That was the story of the game, right? I mean, as soon as yeah. that, it, that that Pistons game in general was just a weird one. There were super physical, some really weird foul calls, probably going both ways, right? You you limit Cade Cunningham to 21 minutes because of foul trouble, yet you still lose the game. I mean, that is a big no-no in the this basically like last year's Pistons at this point, plus Asar Thompson, um, with it when that Cade is out of the game. It it's strange because I didn't really feel like I didn't feel that Charlotte got bullied by Detroit. I, I think in years past you could you could criticize Charlotte for being a team you were kind of easy to put your thumb on, kind of like they weren't necessarily the they didn't fight back that often. I, I felt like Detroit, they tried to fight back. I don't oh, think yeah. the officials uh, got that. ejected at the end of the game fighting back, like put in a yes, like, full arm did. bar and I say a story. Like I completely yeah. agree. They were definitely and, maybe back. they need to learn some more veteran savvy to like <laughs> yeah. get back at them in not in ways that the referees are going to catch them, which is what kept happening in this game, right? And yeah, distra- despite Detroit also having an extremely, extremely young team playing, they seem to kind of play with a little bit more of a veteran savvy edge to them. But the question is at the minute, are the, are the Hornets going to continue to be this team that are not all that, t- like, not that tough and easy to kind of get in on with, like, physically, like they have been in years past and they they were at times in this Detroit game? Or was that just like a one off weird game and it isn't going to be a trend? At the minute, it's just way too early to tell. But that is something that other teams are going to be looking at and going, huh, we can, uh, we can get these guys into foul trouble. We can really use our vet savvy to kind of try and get them frustrated, take them out of their flow. You could tell the Hornets are frustrated all night, and that's exactly what Detroit wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not blaming those for the, on them either. But I mean, Mark and Nick clearly were not responding positively to the calls that they were receiving as offense player, defensive players, compared to when they were on offense underneath the rim and the physicality that they were dealing with when they were trying to finish at the rim. So I, yeah, that's definitely something that we might have to watch for. And it's not even like that. Anybody is like down, like not just down there getting like punked all game or something like that. It's just like, it's just controlling how you react to that physicality. And like you said, like that veteran savvy of knowing when to foul and how to foul and what type of contact to initiate on these plays around the rim. Cause obviously you're producing a ton of contact around the basket no matter what. That's just not going to get called on a possession-by-possession possession basis. You just got to figure out how to do that, which obviously yeah. Mark is in his second season. Nick is basically in his second season as a full-time rotation player. Kind of makes sense that they haven't fully gotten that the handle. Well, Jalen Duran certainly has figured it out. Yeah, Jalen Duran Durin is. He, that, I, I had him in my top six as well on my draft board, and that is why. Like, I, yeah, in the man. next game, the next day after, on a back-to-back, no less, off the heels of that Hornets game, he had, what, like 21, 12, and 5 against the Nets or something? Yeah. Like, this might be He's... this might just be a breakout year for Jalen Duran and perhaps I... Mark Williams as well, too. So, I mean, it, that, that we might just have to chalk that one up to him just being a good a good player. So Yeah, and, and this is the... After the first game, you know, people putting Mark Williams, oh, he's going to be all defense this year. Oh, he's a top, top five, top defensive center in the league. Right. Matt, now and he's then, a defensive sieve and you can't have him on the floor. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and then he gets bullied by second year Jalen Duran and everyone's, you know, r- ruining the chance to draft him. It's just, this is why we can't overreact to these things too early. It is just too early to tell. But hey, Jalen Duran was, was hell impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, On the foul trouble for Mark Williams, this is not something new, right? Go back to Duke. Everyone should know this. Our followers should know this. Duke UNC in the tournament. What happened in that game? Mark Williams played 17 minutes of the NCAA knockout tournament because he got into foul trouble, guarding guys like Armando Baycott. <laughs> so when you're guarding against NBA caliber bigs, against NBA caliber wings and guards attacking the paint, that is something that is going to be a consistent issue this year. We didn't see it much last year, right? Because it was a, a smaller sample size from Mark, but he does like to try and block a lot of shots. He sometimes is more taller rather than stronger, and he is going to get bullied, and he's going to try and fight because he knows he has to grab those rebounds. I think at halftime of the game, they had one defensive rebound between JT Thor, PJ Washington, and Mark Williams and Nick Richards. That was, I mean... Just unbelievable, and and they were trying, but this foul trouble is going to be a thing, a theme for Mark. And this again brings back to that question of mm, this team could really use that third big, 
that there could be other nights like this. I don't think this is just going to be a one-off. They are more physical than most, but we've got a good track record now that Mark Williams and foul trouble do go hand in hand. And with bigs who block shots, that does kind of stay with you like throughout your NBA career. You don't often go from someone who struggles with foul trouble and just solves it. Look, Jaron Jackson, defensive yeah, exactly. player of the year. That was going to be my next point. Was Jay. He's like defensive player of the year caliber, and yeah. he still struggles with fouls. Like, yeah. It's, it's just, just something, it. yeah, and that doesn't mean that Mark can't be a like incredible defender, but yeah. it is something that he's going to have to try and keep in mind. Yeah, and it, like as we go on to, and then that might be something that solves itself like throughout the year. Maybe not solves itself, but we, I mean, it was what this for the first quarter of the second game when we already kind of needed that third center. So now that I think that both of them, like Mark and Nick, see what happens when both of them get into foul trouble and. They maybe don't respond to it with like the cooler heads prevail type of mentality. Maybe that does kind of influence them the next time around. And they're like, okay, even though Isaiah Stewart is pissing me off, I'm not going to, you know, flail or put elbow him or arm bar or whatever I need to do to get him out of the way. And I mean, and that's not even to say that they did that. Cause I remember that one specifically, the, the foul on Nick for his third foul at the free throw line where he basically just got pushed out of the way and ended up on the ground and still somehow got called for foul. Like that's not their fault, but it's still like, you just need to respond to it in a way that just makes, that just keeps you like level headed. And the next time you go out, you're like, whatever, the next one's not going to be on me. I'm just going to keep playing my game. And as of now, they haven't quite gotten there yet, but I mean, I, that certainly could come very soon because they clearly have the size, physicality, like strength to handle any of these guys that they match up against. It's just the experience, I think. Yeah. And when you play younger players, which not all Hornets players are, but there are young players in this team, you're going to have inconsistency. That is the definition of basically being a younger player for the most part, unless you're Brandon Miller, which he'll come on to so Mm -hmm. far. But, um, you know, and I think you could say that Mark Williams won them the Atlanta Hawks game. And I think you can say that he was one of the major reasons they lost the Detroit Pistons game. If he's not in foul trouble, if he's able to battle better on the interior. Um, and look, it's it's early. He's going to have learned a ton from that. Can he take that, adapt, move on? That's going to be key. Um, Lamella Ball Chase. Obviously, Steve Clifford has been very protective of him with the press, you know, talking about how he only got cleared for contact. And we talked about it last week. How long can LaMelo Ball be rusty, you know, working his way back until until it becomes a problem where it's it can't be rushed anymore? There's a, a maybe an issue that he's facing in terms of him being able to, to be efficient. How long does he have on this leash? Mm. So I think as an individual, like in terms of his own stats, I think you probably can give him a little more leeway, but I don't know how long he's going to be able to shoot, you know, two for seven from three, four for 17 from the field, like he was against the Pistons and have this team get off to a good start in terms of... When should people start, be able to start to worry? That's the question, right? Like, I don't think anyone is now. Everyone's just a couple of games. Like, I guess, I guess maybe we come back to that whole 10 game sample that I talked about at the start. If after 10 games, in games 8, 9, and 10, this is the same version of LaMelo Ball, I think it's fair at that point for people to start to worry going, we're not getting the best out of LaMelo here. He, he's struggling you know, to, to, to score efficiently. And you've already seen to start the season, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, these guys who've kind of got off to great starts of the year, the exact kind of guys LaMelo Ball is often compared to, and a lot of guys who fans for the Charlotte Hornets try and say, yeah, LaMelo Ball's better than those guys. Well, at the start of this season, he's not been so far. That can obviously change. There's a lot of time left. But there's there's got to be a point where it's it begins to be a little bit concerned. It's not yet, but it's going to happen at some point if his play doesn't improve. Yeah, and I mean, if after that 10 games or so, if the team isn't winning, then I think it becomes a real problem. Because if he's getting these shots within the flow of the offense, like not taking any sort of like bad shots, good shot selection from his spots on the floor that he's efficient at, then it's okay because you can just be like, okay, this is just rust getting used to being back in the flow of the game. He hasn't played in, you know, eight months or whatever it must have been since the last time he got hurt. This is okay. But if if it's, you know, him pressing, being inefficient, and it's contributing to the team, like not necessarily being as successful of an offense as they could be if they're not winning, 
then it, it becomes a problem very, very quickly, I think. Because obviously he's the head of the snake here. So you yeah. really need him to be able to be efficient at those like deep range pull-up threes, driving to the rim, those high arcing floaters from like the elbow range that he's that him and very few other players in the NBA are even good enough to hit. Like these types of things need to start going down. And he has gotten to the line a lot. I mean, I think he took 12 free throws against the Pistons. So this is yes. a definitely, that's a positive trend, but in that still, game, like, he absolutely need, got to the line a ton. Yeah. Need the three point shot, the three point threat from LaMelo. And that hasn't been there at all. So if they, if it starts to like hinder the success of the team, then it's going to be a very big problem. But I mean, as well, if it's for now, it seems to be coming within the flow of the offense and it's not necessarily taking them out of rhythm. So you can forgive it in the small sample. But as and we I know, still think fine line that you tote with, with that kind of thing. Yeah. And it still comes back to he is having to play with that second unit a lot. You know, out there mm-hmm. with that second unit, he has Nick Richards, JT Thor, probably Brandon Miller, and Teo Maladon are the guys he's out there with. Who else is the defense worried about there? Brandon Miller. But those are the three guys, let's be honest. They are happy with JT Thor, Nick Richards, Maladon, any of those guys having the ball in their hands in a late clock situation. And and that's why like everybody is their head turned when the mellow ball has the ball and are digging on any drives and are making his life difficult. And the only shots available to him are some pretty low percentage shots at times. So this again comes back to that Ish Smith signing. And we, we talked about this last week. It's going to put pressure on the mellow ball where his game is just not, he is not your classic all-star. He is not Kemba Walker, where you can give Kemba the ball and it doesn't matter who he's going against, Kemba can probably get you like a good-ish shot. That is not LaMelo Ball. He is he cannot influence the scoring point of view as consistently at the moment. That That's just, he's not a pull-up threat. He's not a good enough scorer inside. He's not someone who just, you know, opposing teams are, petrified of defending because he draws fouls like Trey Young. Um, he does a lot of incredible things, but he's not someone I think you can just give the ball and say, oh, d- just surround him with defenders like Luka Doncic and you'll be fine. Um, so I, I, still, I still believe in it. You know, I, I think he's defended really well. I actually think he's probably defended the best so far in the first two games than he has in, in the rest of the season so far. So there has been progress in areas of his game, but it's just the offensive side, which I think is why the Hornets haven't quite hit that top gear just yet. So I, what are your thoughts on how they've staggered those minutes so far? Because like you said, they, it seems like they've been playing LaMelo. It's kind of like a LaMelo in the second unit lineup with like Teo as the off-ball guard, secondary playmaker type. And then he, like LaMelo comes out of the game first in the yeah. first quarter in both of those games. And then... Sorry, so in preseason. Uh, yeah, and, and it's it's basically Terry Rozier, Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller comes in for LaMelo and Gordon Hayward as like a like three secondary playmakers instead of having one primary primary playmaker, basically. And all three of them can kind of alternate between that type of duty. What do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like staggering the minutes in that way? Cause it's not necessarily how I would have thought that they would have done it. I don't know. I mean, it's only two games, well, so I don't really know if I like it or dislike it yet, but it's definitely something that like caught my eye pretty much right away. And when in the Pistons game, when LaMelo came out first again, I was like, okay, so this is just how they're going to do it is with, Lamelo or with Rozier, Miller, and Hayward, and then Lamelo and Maladon as the second unit playmakers. I'll explain the theory as to why I think they're doing it, and you tell me, I guess, what you think would be would be better or why it surprised you. Okay. Um, the, those three players before Maladon, Thor, Richards, they are not creators, so they need someone like Lamelo Ball to be able to generate their their shots. If you had Terry Rozier in that unit. I think that second unit would struggle even more because Terry Zier is just nowhere near the creator for his teammates it, that, that Lamella Ball is. By Terry Zier running the point in that starting unit, you've got Gordon Hayward around you. You've got probably Brandon Miller because he comes in for Lamella Ball. You've got PJ Washington. So the playmaking isn't so on Terry's shoulders. And we talked for a long time about Terry being that good movement shooter, outside shooter, although his three-point shot to start this year still hasn't quite been there. Um, he's had, again, good spurts in both games, but it's not quite been as consistent. So I think that's the the reason as to why. I think it also helps Brandon Miller because he plays with the starters a little bit more where they can generate better shots for him and there is less load on him rely, relying on the second unit. So that's the theory as to why. Um, 
look, I don't think it's a great option, but I can I can understand why they've decided to start the year and they felt that's like our our best approach. I, I can see the strategy there. Yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. It's probably the best way to maximize like both ball handlers in Terry Rozier and Lamelo. Like Lamelo, obviously, is a guy that you want to be feeding any sort of creation attempts to, like as a playmaker or a shot creator. You want to just be giving him as many of those opportunities as possible and just get putting the ball in his hands, giving him a high usage rate because that's probably how you're going to get the best out of him as a playmaker and a creator in the NBA. But Terry Rozier is somebody you want to. You, you can give him those creator options, but you want to keep him off ball and let him come off of screens and set those like early possession ghost screens like flying across the top of the key so you can get him those looks as well. And you can also distribute that between like Gordon Hayward and Brandon Miller, who are both good playmakers in their own right for their especially for their position, while you allow Terry to have those attempts. And then you can get those attempts for Hayward and Miller when Terry goes off the ball or goes on the ball. So that actually, yeah, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the best way to maximize both of those players, even though with it's the like current situation, ideal situation for either one yeah. of them. But yeah, it's yeah. probably it's probably the, making the best of what you got. Yeah. Um, any other takeaways from those games that you want to touch on? I don't think so. I'm 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 definitely excited to see oh, how okay. these small samples develop as we go forward here. But I think we're good for now. Right. Let's move on to the main event. Brandon Miller. Um, Wow, what what a start to the season that Brandon Miller has had. Um, so far, he's playing 29 minutes per game, 15 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists, half a block, half a steal, um, shooting a great ball from three. Um, I don't have the percentage right in front of me, but he's been he's been shooting the ball better and better. And half, in, 45 and a half. 45 and a half and five and a half attempts per game. Um, shooting the ball better than he did in some league or in preseason which makes me think he's probably shooting a little bit above his head at the minute. I'd strap in for a little bit of regression here. But what's been the most impressive thing to you about Brandon Miller so far? I need everybody to buckle in here because I'm going to make a cross-sport comparison at how I processed Brandon Miller's first couple games. Yep. He reminds me of what Peyton Manning was like when he first broke into the NFL. Cause like he was never, he wasn't Who's more that? athletic than anybody. He wasn't like, he didn't have some absolute cannon of an arm. He was just so well adjusted to the pro game immediately that it just didn't matter. Like he has all of the skill that's required and he knows how to play the game at a professional pace, literally from the first moment that he stepped on the floor. I mean, his second game of the year, he put up 17-6-2 on great efficiency, like to hit a couple threes and got to the line a couple times. Like he fit in right away. And like that's just such a rare thing in basketball. Like even someone like Luka Doncic, like he's still never really found that type of efficiency from three on a type of on like a full year scale. And that's not to say Brandon Miller will himself, but like he's already settled in as like in the first couple games as an efficient player that can create his own shot, can create for teammates, can defend his position, obviously can make those athletic highlight plays as well. And the one thing that really impresses me too, he does not back down. Like we saw when Isaiah Stewart mm -hmm. kind of pressed him a little bit, he literally just like looked at him like a side eye, like Isaiah Stewart was some sort of crazy person for even bothering to step to Brandon Miller. He's like, what are you even doing? Why are you talking to me? right now like do you not realize who i am and like that type of attitude that's going to get you places when you have the t the skill and the athleticism and the size to cut to go with it so i mean if you if if anybody can think of a, a true like glaring negative for brandon miller so far i would love to hear it because i i have not had one and he just seems so prepared which is not something you can say about rookies a lot of the time it's really impressive well, I, I can give you a glaring negative because okay. I was going to say I was going to start on the the high high upper beat note, but as you've teed me up, I'll give you I'll give you this one. All right, here we go. Um, ninety one percent of Brandon Miller's shots so far have been assisted. <laughs> See, that, is a, that, that is that is definitely not great. Ninety one is a high number, but I th that won't go down too much though because you want him feeding off of Lamelo and Terry and Hayward, right? You you do at the same time, like and and. 
this is one where I think Charlotte Hornets fans be like, well, that makes sense. But let's be honest. You're talking about a number two pick in a fantastic draft. You want to be able to give the guy the ball to create shots for other people and to be able to create shots themselves. And that's not something he's really tried to do too much yet. And we actually did see it a little bit in preseason, getting to some of his mid-range spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's also 100% at the rim. So he's not made a shot at the rim without it being assisted yet. Um, so th- there's there's my, you know my negative in terms of he's relying on everyone to put himself in these good positions. Now, playing without the ball is a skill. And this is something Steve Clifford has talked about. So many guys come through from AAU basketball now where they're so used to having the ball all the time. They get to the NBA and you look at the Nuggets, you look at the Warriors who play these, you know, sharing the ball systems. You need to be able to play without the ball. And that is something that Brandon Miller can absolutely do, which is useful on a team when you've got a guy like Lamelo Ball, who's going to have the ball for a, a large amount of the time. So it, it is a strength, but I do also see it can be viewed as a weakness at the same time. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I mean, while I, I do the 91%, you want that to go down, but I, I think when you bounce it out with what he showed in the preseason in terms of the mid-range shot creation and the smoothness in which he was able to kind of snake around a pick and roll, take like one or two dribbles from the three-point line, and get to that pull-up in the, the elbow range and combine that with the efficiency from three off-ball right now, you can at least provide yourself some hope that as he settles in, especially, it's going to be show itself a little bit more often and that be more of, of an efficient player as a as a shot creator so far. And maybe he'll get more of those reps like as the team kind of sorts itself out health-wise and they really get their like firm rotation down and the style of play that they want from their first and second unit. Cause right now it seems like he has a lot to do when he's not playing with other good players. It seems like he has a lot to do as a yeah. playmaker, even if it doesn't end up in an assist necessarily, he kind of has to be the one that's organizing out there. So we'll, we'll see how that one that develops, but I mean, he, he has been so good so far. It's, yeah. it's I mean, I, I am the first one to admit I was not the highest on Brandon Miller. I am. Where was he on your oh, board? He was six. Uh, five. He was number five, five. for me. So I, I mean, yeah. I am so excited to be wrong about this guy. Like enthralled to be wrong. Like it's it's well, gonna be so much fun to watch. Like, I, I hope I hope you are, and I hope to be able to throw it in your face every absolutely. every week on the episode. Absolutely. Um, I can't I, wait. I'm, for like, that I, I don't think anyone should be worth you know running any laps of victory just yet. Two games into a season, and you talk about the situation that Miller is in where he's surrounded with the good of the players and there are certain other prospects who probably don't have that, you know, Scoot Henderson is now in a, with a Portland team, which is really struggling, which was put together, you know, it's never been put together with the idea of how do these guys complement each other or play together. It is just random spare parts, which is some talent, but are, you know, don't necessarily fit. And like, yes, Scoot Henderson has had a bad start to the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Brandon Miller has been a much more effective player. Let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Um, I, I'm a big Brandon Miller guy, um, but this is not the point. I mean, I saw people doing all sorts of things online, and I understand that the Charlotte Hornets are so keen to prove everybody. The fans are so keen for like to be able to tell everybody that you were wrong and that we got it right. I understand that, and there will be the chance for that, but it's just it's just not yet. Um, you talked a little bit about his that that situation with Isaiah Stewart and. I had that in my notes as well. He he is confident, yet not arrogant. He is passionate, but he maintains control. He has a, a real poise, which I just think is so like he, he seems to give every situation. He he gives every situation exactly what it needs. Yep. You know, if, if it's a big fast break dunk, he gets up. Um and that's just shows a level of maturity that we've not seen in many draft picks. We didn't see it in Buck Knight. We never saw it in Malik Monk. We didn't see it in Kai Jones. Um, even like from a maturity standpoint, I think you could argue like he's like the most mature rookie I've basically seen play for the Charlotte Hornets, which says a lot. Like if you're talking about someone doing that, uh, that is an extremely, extremely good sign. Um, so he has just been so poised out there. He's not look. You look at all these other rookies, even the ones who looked good in preseason, they're looking a little bit sped up. MN Thompson, like I said, Scoot. Brandon Miller just looks the same, if if not like even better than in the preseason. Now, it's it's not going to be this good all the way through. There's no chance. You know, this is the next big thing, Chase. 
the scout is going to be out on Brandon Miller very soon, right? Yep. Everyone is going to know. Okay, we have to take away the three because if you take away the three, so far he's you know he's had some moments like stop him in transition, take away the three. If you take away those things, like Brandon Miller is probably like a six point per game scorer at the moment, and he is pretty little bit of a non factor. Now those things are kind of hard to take away, but that's the next thing. That's going to be the next challenge for him is. How are you going to react when everyone knows exactly what you want to do, exactly where you want to get to? And the very best players are the ones who have a counter to the counter and say, okay, if you're going to take this way, then I'm going to do that. And we're yet to have to see that from Brandon Miller yet. We're yet to have to see him trying to innovate. That's going to be the next challenge for him. And and I want to give a quick shout out here too, because this is something that this guy's brought up a ton on the pregame and postgame shows and the halftime shows. Terrence Oglesby, the newest addition to the Hornets broadcast team, he's actually brought up that exact thing a couple times. It's like, how does he adjust to these new scenarios now that he not only is like a good player in his own right, but has a bunch of other good players around him? Like at Alabama, it was different because he was the best player on the team. And when they threw all these things, they took away the three, it was like, okay. I'm, you know, the best player on the team. I'm probably the best player on the floor most of the nights. I'm just going to weave my way into the mid-range or to the rim, and I'll finish that way. But now that you have all these other good players around you, so when you do that, you have the opportunity to make plays for your teammates and distribute and take advantage of different talents that you may not have been able to do as much in the past. And you also still have the skill to get to that mid-range game or get into the rim. Like, how are you going to use that? How are you going to operate as a player that's, like, much more versatile or at least able to show that versatility at a much higher rate than you were at Alabama. So I, that's that's going to be something that is very interesting because obviously teams are going to take – teams have already been taking away that shot from him. Like you kind of see yeah. when he plays – especially when he plays off ball and when he's not with the second unit and gets to bring the ball up or off of a fast break or something, like he's heavily guarded at the three-point line. Like it's already like – they're not letting him score or shoot or anything like that. It's not like, oh, this is some rookie that hasn't proven himself like – this guy was a dead eye at Alabama. Like, no teams aren't going to let him like fly off of screens and take wide open threes as a movement shooter or anything like that. So, how he adjusts to that in the future is going to be really interesting. And, and Terrence Oglesby has brought that up a couple times, and his analysis I think has been a really good addition to the Hornets uh, pregame, postgame, and halftime uh, shows. So hey, I wanted to give him a shout out for that. Anything was better than last year, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but oh my. God, like I, I not can say I was not surprised to see that the Valley Sports moved on. Uh, but yeah, I, I have to say, like Terrence has been a welcome surprise. Um, I'd like to get him on the podcast at some point this year. I'm going to speak that, that one into existence. If you're so, listening, Terrence. Welcome, welcome addition to the to the podcast for an episode. Yeah. Um, how many bad decisions has Brandon Miller made so far? There, there was a reach and foul. I can remember that yeah. one. Like, where, you know, but. I can count on one hand the number of bad decisions, bad shots he's made, bad passes he's attempted. Like, he's just like, and Steve Clifford says this a lot, everything he does makes sense. And I, I can completely see what he means when he says that now, when you watch him play these minutes, that he just doesn't really make a bad decision. And it's actually a lot harder to, to play like that than you think in the NBA. Oh, yeah. I mean... Now that you mention it, like, especially for like bad shots or something like that, or like forcing a turnover, I literally can't pull one like out of my memory of a time where I was like, damn, he really forced that one a little bit. I mean, even his misses come within the flow of the offense or like good yeah. shots or something like definitely nothing where, you know, his veteran teammates would look at him and be like, you got to pass that one up, like move the ball along a little bit. And, you know, and I think that what you said a couple minutes ago, like he gives every situation exactly what it needs. That might be like a very prescient quote in the future here in regards to Brandon Miller. Cause that seems like exactly like what he brings to the table is like that fast break dunk that he threw down off the lob. That would be like the dunk of the, of their career for like a lot of players. Like he got, he threw that down, he flexed and he screamed like let's effing go at whoever it was that was closest to him. And then he just turned around and got back on defense and yeah. played the next possession like it never happened. Like he gives it exact the exact amount of attention that it needs. Like in that moment, yes, flex on that guy, scream at them, look at the camera, whatever you got to do, give it four seconds, get back on defense and play the next possession. That's exactly what he did. Like 
that he gives every situation exactly what it needs, I think is a like a perfect way to describe what he's shown through the first two games. It it blows my mind how he is so he looks so explosive in transition. Yeah. Yet in the in, in the half court, he has like some of the worst uh like extension and like I, yes. finishing floating around the rim. Like that he's not taking many of those shots because you you know it's a little bit away. There was one, I think, in the Atlanta game where I think like the ball ended up going like 20 foot in like the air and you're like oh that what was that type thing um but it's just bizarre how like and sometimes you get these guys they're like transition athletes they need to be have like a head of steam be one foot jumpers but it's if he can find any way to bottle like any of that explosion around the rim you know that's gonna be that's you know that's that's gonna be scary if he can do that i'm i'm skeptical because it's just not often something that people add if you don't yeah. have that like part of your wheelhouse. Um, but that is definitely still an issue that, that extension, that speed, uh, creativity, uh, separation at the rim. That's just something that he's going to struggle with. Yet yeah, it's, it's not really part of his game. Yeah. I mean, that, that is such a hard thing to learn. Like he might be skilled enough and just see six, nine, have enough shooting touch that he could overcome it. But like, I, I did see like those long strides he took to get that lob on the fast break. I was like, okay, so why does that work? But when you're driving to the rim, you have to take like two extra dribbles and then it allows them to catch up to you or the defender to come over from the help side. I was like, just use that stride, but from the elbow to the rim and then you'd be you'd be all set. But obviously that's like an extremely difficult thing to do. And it's something that is very rarely like learned yeah. once you get to the NBA. It's kind of just got to be in you. But he certainly seems like he's good enough to – at least be a highly impactful player, if not somebody that's like all-star all in, or whatever potential like that you'd want to throw at a player that's in the number two pick so far. Yeah. So it's off to a hot start, I think, to say the least. He's very yeah. impressed with Brandon Miller through two games. Yeah. He's played 50 minutes, 50% of his minutes, the two and the three so far. Mm -hmm. So we talked about Brandon mm -hmm. Miller playing shooting guard. He's played a lot of that now. I think that has been probably a little bit manufactured because of the injury situation and and some of the situations there. I I don't think necessarily that's how it will remain for the entire year, but it's but it's still notable because you know uh, Steve Clifford mentioned that they would use Brandon Miller at times to guard Trey Young, and he guarded Cade Cunningham. So all of a sudden you're talking about not only is Brandon Miller giving you everything we just talked about in offense, but he's someone that you can throw on a a all-star point guard someone you can throw on an all-star wing and i think his defense has been pretty good he, yeah he's been caught a few times with a few fouls like he was reaching in against trey young and got caught with like one of those this uh rip through fouls which ended up getting called a shooting foul he got caught like say with a reach but those are just like playing against someone for the first time and understanding the matchups but his like level of attention to detail i, I said this I re-listened to a part of our video. We talked about Brandon Miller pre-draft. His ability to like get skinny round screens and to get back into the play and to kind of like get back onto the defender and be able to like contest. He contested everything. This is one of the things I loved on his film at Alabama. Even when like he got like got hit on a screen, he just get back into the play somehow and impact it and affect it. And he he does that still now, and that's carried over to the NBA. And to have two-way players who can give you that level of defense as a rookie, he's never played against these people before. And they are going straight at him because you do that with any rookie. You go at them early, you isolate them. And so far, he has not been a guy who you look out there and go, oh yeah, you know, there needs to be some some steep learning here. It's, it's like he's been in the NBA for three or four years for the most part. Yeah, and so I was at the Boston home opener live while the Hornets were playing this Pistons game. And I watched it the next day. And this is something I actually thought of in the moment, because this is a player that Brandon Miller gets compared to quite often. Uh, and especially pre-draft was yep. Jason Tatum. And this relates perfectly to what you're just talking about too. They, the heat put Jaime Jaquez on Jason Tatum for a good portion of that game. And he, Jason Tatum was like offended that they even had a rookie defending him. <laughs> he scored, I think like eight points in a row on him at one point or sick or something like that. And it was just very clear that he was like, are you guys even serious right now? And it's like Brandon Miller treats his own talent and skill level in a very similar way. Like it's like when he's on defense, it's like, 
are you guys seriously singling me out like this because I'm a rookie? Like, do you actually think that I'm not going to be able to fight through this screen and stay with this guy and be able to contest a shot at the rim or be able to get around it and make sure that this isn't like a clean off the dribble three? Like, he just he just has this air of confidence that's like in the perfect dose to where it's like not arrogant, but it's like you can he can look at pretty much anybody that's across from him so far and be like, yeah, I can match up with you. Like, I'll I'll be good. Like, you might get me one of these times, but I'm certainly going to get you at another time down the court eventually here. So it's it's been great to watch. And I am curious to see because I think the matchups have actually been pretty beneficial for him defensively, especially playing in the as like a two or in like a bigger lineup because Atlanta plays like DeJounte Murray and Bogdan Bogdanovich as a couple of like slower-ish two guards maybe. I want to mm-hmm. see them play against a team that's like really fast at that position, like like maybe Boston or Indiana uh, or like Sacramento or something, like a team that just runs and just gets up and down like all game. I really want to see how he reacts to something like that, just playing against a guy that's like much quicker and smaller, maybe twitchier than he has, because he hasn't really came up against that yet in these couple games. But he certainly reacted to like the size, physicality, pace, like all that kind of stuff with flying colors so far. So. That's pretty much the only thing left to, to throw at him, really, I think, is somebody that's just going to run him up and down the court. Yeah. He, yeah, he's just been super exciting. I, 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 you know, I see people already writing out their receipts already to say, you know, I'm sorry, Brandon Miller to doubt you. You know, the fact, again, the fact that this guy was booed on draft night. Yeah. By, in, in the Spectrum Center, by the whole arena. Yeah. Like, we're, and, we're eating crow really really quickly well me and many of the people in that arena yeah and again it's 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 too early to come to that full conclusion but already what i think people have what he's done is he started so well he's he's opened people's minds he's open you start the question now right and that's the first step it is now a question where people go maybe right and this is something we're gonna have to keep track of but look brandon miller he has arrived um he's been Fantastic start of the year. Uh, Chase, was there anything else you wanted to search on Brandon Miller? I don't think so. I've just loved what I've seen from him so far. Can't wait to watch him keep it up here in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, the next week, before we next speak, the Hornets uh, at home again against the Brooklyn Nets on Monday. This is going to be released on a Monday, this podcast. Um, so you hopefully be hearing, watching that game that evening. Then they are on the road, three-game road trip at Houston, at Indiana, and then they're playing at Dallas, uh, which will probably be after our next podcast, the Dallas game. But uh, Chase, what is your record prediction after the next, let's say after this Brooklyn-Houston-Indiana game? What are you thinking here? So I'll go win over Brooklyn-Houston. I'll give them a loss to to Indiana just because it seems like Indiana is obviously off to a pretty solid start so far through these two games with how Tyrese Halliburton has played. But I, I think that... The next, uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets and Houston specifically, I think they're going to match up with well because kind of discombobulated teams that don't have much of an identity yet. Houston is still super young, and I think they the have the upper they, hand there in terms of they're going to be another physical team, though. I, yep. I you know, they, they're going to be guys with Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Vliet. Um, they're going to have some tough physical guys. So, again, if you're talking about that Detroit game, get ready because Houston's email Duke is going to want them to play that exact same way. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go win versus Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn might be missing some guys. I think Claxton I saw was out. Cam Johnson was out as well um, of the last game. I don't know if they're gonna be back yet. Um, but even if they are, maybe maybe not at 100. Um, percent God, I swear to God, someone I hope guards Cam Thomas because that guy's been on fire for the first week of the season. Um, so I'm gonna go win at Brooklyn. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say loss at Houston and win at Indiana. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around here. So we're we're both hoping for two and one over the stretch of this next week. And yeah, should good to see some more Hornets basketball. They they need to make progress in the stretch here. This is a pretty soft opening to the season. I know we've talked about this. Um, but uh yeah, be interesting to see how they get on after the next few games. Cam Thomas or Jalen Green? Just a question to leave the listeners with. Thank you. Thank you everybody <laughs> for listening, as always. Oh, wow. Um, I I think I have to say Jalen Green. At this moment, yeah. I have to say Jalen Green. It, I, yeah, I'm saying Jalen Green. 
that could change. It could. It, <laughs> it, it, it look, could be soon. <laughs> you you can ask me the question, just like we said with Brandon Miller. You you can now ask me the question with Cam Thomas and Jalen Green. You, you know, That's it's true. a question now in my head. I will be thinking about very deeply um, as we watch the the next two players over the next two games here. Uh, Chase, it's good to talk basketball. Um, let's hope Brandon Miller keeps on keeping on, as Eric Collins calls it. Um, make sure you subscribe to the All Hornets Podcast Network. You can actually see if you're watching on YouTube right now. We have one of our Humdiddly D t-shirts. Uh, this is the last time we're going to be plugging the t-shirts in the All Hornets store. You can find the link and the, in the show notes here on, on podcasts or on YouTube, wherever you are listening or watching it. Um, Hornets fans, it's great to have you back on our side. Hope you enjoyed listening, and we will look forward to speaking to you next week. We will see you next week. If you guys enjoyed the episode, first episode of the season, please give us a five-star review if you so have the time. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for listening. Glad to be back in the saddle. See you later.